thank you so much for tuning into the logs. Coming up, episode three, we are always playing games. Gamer, what popped into your head when I said that? Gamer, who did you envision? Gamer, qualities and traits of that person? Gamer, their habits? Gamer, I think when I tell you this next fact, you're going to be shocked at what you think a gamer is. Hard stereotypes of the gamer include living in his mother's basement, usually their male, in front of a computer screen. But what if I were to tell you that most people that play games are playing them on the subway, on the way to work, and on their smartphone? Most people are not playing Call of Duty on their PC. They're playing Candy Crush or Words with Friends on their iPhone or Samsung Galaxy. And we're going to talk about these gamers as a collective. There seems to be a kind of dissonance between these two camps. The hardcore gamer, which would be a PC or personal computer gamer that plays games on their computer, or the console gamer that plays games on an Xbox, a PlayStation, or a Nintendo system. Those would make up that hardcore segment. And the more casual gamer that usually connects to the smartphone or tablet gamer. But I think it's unfair to call that casual gamer a non-gamer because it's in the name casual gamer. A degree of passion with games doesn't signify any lack of passion. If somebody does something, no matter how much they do it or how long they do it for, if it's being done, there has to be some passion behind it. If they're playing a game like Candy Crush, they want to do it. They're engaging in it. And if somebody's playing a game like Call of Duty, they're passionate about it and they want to do it. Furthermore, Candy Crush and Call of Duty are created under the same company, Activision Blizzard. So why divide a community when the company that's making these games is just making them for different preferences, for people with different preferences? It's important to talk about the gamer, because the gamer has become one of the most informed and most lucrative consumers in the modern era. Their buying power, their will, and their respect for their medium has proven to be the reason for the video game explosion of the late 20th and early 21st century. And this is because video games are a subsect of a larger human adherence to games. When we say that the gamer is the most lucrative, most informed consumer, we can think of a behavior that reinforces that attitude, that maintains the attitude in the modern world. So on today's program, we are going to keep in mind those two aspects of the gamer. One, how the gamer is reflected across the global games market and their role relative to other consumers and other markets. And two, how is a gamer maintained across society? And why are we all gamers? As we go through this episode, I want you to keep your mind on this question. Why is no one talking about games, but everyone is playing them? 
since the first game was created in October of 1958. The human yearn for games and the desire to create more, create new worlds within them has just exploded. And in this relatively very young medium, when you compare it to movies or radio or books or plays, in this very young medium, we see a drastic expansion of the possibilities. Games have gone from Pong, a simple tennis-like game where the objective is to keep the ball on the other side and protect your side. They've gone from that to games like Mario, a side-scroller jumping action adventure game. Or games like Doom, a first-person shooter in a very quirky, hell-like world. And now games feature photorealistic characters, full worlds to explore, objectives, and people to meet within those worlds. And this all happened in about 60 years. That's not even a full lifetime. It's incredible what this medium has become. And it's also a little sad that it doesn't gain the respect that it deserves. Arguably one of the largest games of last year was a game called Red Dead Redemption 2. In a year chock full of massive games, this sequel to the 2010 hit Red Dead Redemption came out in October to critical and commercial appeal. Now here's a quick summary of the game. In the game you take control of a man named Arthur Morgan. He's a cowboy and you're basically playing a cowboy simulator. It's a prequel to the 2010 Red Dead Redemption where you are living as an outlaw at the end of the Wild West era. And you could really do a lot of things in that game. It's There are systems in there like facial hair where your hair, facial hair will grow out and you have to shave and bathe. You have to clean yourself up. Or if you walk into a town, the other characters in the game will point you out and say, wow, this guy is very dirty and things like that. It's an intense game and it's very well polished, very well made by a company called Rockstar Games, owned by Take-Two Interactive. Rockstar Games is the developer of the game. They make the game. And Take-Two Interactive is the publisher. A publisher will frequently pay for the game or uh, their main role is to market and sell the game, sell copies of the game. So... Red Dead Redemption 2 releases on October 26th of 2018, and like I said, it's a critical hit and a soon-to-be commercial hit. In its first three days on market shelves, Red Dead Redemption 2 generated $725 million. And this is on market shelves in physical brick-and-mortar stores like Target, Walmart, Best Buy, GameStop, and in the digital stores on the PlayStation Store, Xbox Store, and the Steam Store on the personal computers. And in the first three days, three days, $725 million. To put that into perspective, let's look at the biggest movie of 2018, Avengers Infinity War, that came out in May, and it was called the biggest blockbuster of 2018 before it even came out. And as reported in Vox, when it came out released, in its first three days, its opening weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it generated $250 million domestically in the U.S. And overseas in the foreign box office, it made another $380 million. And if we combine that revenue, we get a total of $680 million in its first three days across the world. That's $680 million for the biggest movie of 2018 created by Marvel and Disney in its first three days on the market. Isn't that insane to think about? Red Dead Redemption 2 made over $45 million more in its first three days. Granted, a movie ticket 
is much less than the base price of the game, which is at $60. But we can also say that Avengers Infinity War was a PG-13 rated movie available to a wider swath of the consumer audience than the mature rated Red Dead Redemption 2 game, which is geared towards people 17 and up. But either way you look at it, the interest in this game and the interest in this industry is astounding. People adhere to this medium, to video games. And Red Dead Redemption 2 has over 60 hours of gameplay. And you think Avengers Infinity War is a two-hour movie. The game is a solid time commitment. It's a commitment to something, to this world, that Rockstar Games has developed for the consumer. And you know what's even crazier? What's truly insane? That's not even Take-Two Interactive and Rockstar Games' biggest game. Their previous... Their previously released game was a game called Grand Theft Auto V. It released in September of 2013, and as of April 2018, that's five years, as of April 2018, it has sold 90 million copies and generated a whopping $6 billion of revenue. This is a fact. Grand Theft Auto V has generated more money than any other piece of art in any other form of entertainment that's books movies plays nothing nothing comes close with movies like star wars that's the first one or gone with the wind when they're adjusted for inflation they've made about three billion at the box office it's just a statement where you have to say wow it's crazy and nobody's talking about it games this quiet monster of an industry and nobody's talking about it but now we know of this great buying power that gamers have. And let's look at this segmentation of the industry. Who's buying these games? For this upcoming data, I'm going to be referring to Nuzu, and that's literally New Zoo. Nuzu is a games and esports market intelligence provider. They gather a lot of this market data. And in 2018, they produced this global games market per device and segment distribution chart. Their total for the industry worth of the global games market, the value of the industry, is at $137.9 billion as of the end of 2018. 2018 was the first year where mobile games, games played on a smartphone or a tablet, have generated a majority of the market share. That's 51% of the global market, or $70.3 billion worth of revenue, was generated from mobile games. The other 49% is made up of the PC games at 24%, and console games at 25%, making 32.9 and $34.6 billion, respectively. The entire games industry from 2017 to 2018 grew by 13.3%, and a large chunk of that growth came from the growth of mobile games, which was about 25.5% year over year. What's even more interesting is that smartphone game revenue grew by 29% year over year. And if we look at the global box office for movies, movies released from Hollywood, that was valued at $41.7 billion at the end of 2018, according to Statista, the statistics portal. And if you include home entertainment revenue, which include things like 
DVDs, Blu-rays, and digital sales of movies, if you include that to the $41.7 billion, you get an entire industry value of the movie industry at $136 billion. Now, to remind you, the games industry was valued at $137.9 billion at the end of 2018. So that is about $2 billion difference in the total market value of those two industries. And now, think about this. The movies industry, which includes the global box office, if we just take that aspect of the movies industry, the global box office generated $41.7 billion, like we said. If we look at smartphone games, smartphone games, things like Candy Crush, Clash of Clans, Angry Birds, Pokemon Go, those games generated $56.4 billion in 2018. They've made more money than the entire movies industry. So who is playing these games? Who is paying for these games? Nuzu has the number of people playing games at more than 2.3 billion people in the world. 2.3 billion active gamers, people that play games regularly. And 46% of those people, nearly half, about 1.1 billion people in the world, spend money on those games. And of the total market value, which is $137.9 billion for the games industry, 91% of that comes from digital revenues across digital marketplaces like the Google Play Store, iTunes, PlayStation stores, Xbox stores. And 2018 was the first year again that mobile games will generate a majority of the market. When we break it down by country, China leads the top 100 countries in the world that purchase games. Out of the 137.9 billion total, China accounts for 37.9 billion at number one. Number two is the US at 30.4 billion. And three is Japan at 19.2 billion. And per capita, people in Japan spend more money on mobile games and games in general than any other country, which is another crazy fact. Now, in the USA, about 70%, nearly 70%, around 67% of people, or 211 million people, play video games, as reported in Variety, on at least one type of device. And more than half of those people that actually play the games play on multiple platforms. And the study they are referencing in this article comes from a company called the Electronic Entertainment Design and Research. It was a new study released in 2018, and it shows us that a lot of Americans play games, and a lot of Americans spend money on games. That $30.4 billion revenue generated by American gamers comes from this consumer base of 211 million people. Now, if we take the $30.4 billion that is spent by Americans on games and divide it by the 211 million Americans that play games, we get roughly how much an individual spends on games. And again, not all individuals spend money on games. Some people just play free games on their smartphone. But we can see if we do that calculation, we get at an individual level, an individual across the year will spend 100 and $44 on video games. And if we take into account that all people that play games in the US are not buying them, then that means that some people are buying 
way more than $144 worth of video games in a year. This is yet another piece of evidence for a person's adherence to this medium. Hard-earned money is being spent on games. People care about games, and that fact cannot be overlooked. Like we said before, the average price of a game in 2018 was $60, $59.99. When you saw it on a store shelf, brand new, $59.99. If you were to go back 10 years, in 2008, how much would you say a game was? Brand new, right off the shelf, plastic still on it. How much do you think it would be? Maybe much less than $59.99? Nope. It was $59.99. In 10 years, the price of games has stayed identical. In 2008, games were worth $60. Before then, they varied a lot. They varied from $40 to maybe close to $80 at some point. In these 10 years, game prices have solidified. Base games, $60. Everywhere else, the price of inflation has increased prices overall. Let's look at movies again as our best comparison here. In 2008, the average ticket price at the counter at an American movie theater was $7.18. In 2018, this went up to an all-time high of $9.11 on average. That is an increase of close to $2 in 10 years, about 27% in 10 years. If we put that into perspective, the average inflation rate for prices of all goods and services increased about 1.55% per year over the 10 years, 2008 to 2018. And that's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This totals to an inflation rate of 16.63% across 10 years. Again, in that same period of time, movies increased by 27% in price, in average price. So that's a 10% greater increase of movie ticket prices over prices of all other goods in that span of time. Now, if we were to look at it and compare it to the normal rate of inflation, 16.63, now if we went back to 2008, we took that $7.18 movie ticket price and we increased the ticket price by the normal rate of inflation, the rate of inflation provided by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, we should have seen in 2018 an average movie ticket price of $8.37. That's a 74 cent difference than the $9.11 price that we saw in 2018. The average price for console and PC games across the same period of time like we said, had no increase, a 0% increase across those 10 years. If we did similar math to see what games should have cost in 2018 when using that 16.63% inflation rate, games should have been at $70 in 2018. A brand new game on store shelves, day of release, should have cost $70, its base price. And I keep saying base price, it's important you know what I'm talking about when I reference that, base price is the standard price of a game. The standard copy of a game includes the game. Everything that the developer chose to put in a standard version of the game. Nowadays, because of the inflation rate and what we're going to talk about in just a bit, publishers usually create different versions, a variety of different versions of the game. So you have the base standard game at $60 always. And then you could have different editions 
On top of that, you could have an Ultimate Edition, Gold Edition, Advanced Edition, a No Shirt, No Shoes, All Service Edition. It's completely real. Look it up. But these editions all function as something above the base game. So there are digital items, maybe physical items, statues, things like that, that function to increase the price above the base game. They could buff the price to $80, $100, $200, They can get very expensive depending on what's inside. But nonetheless, they go above the $60 price tag that games have been at for so long now. And the reason why developers and publishers do that is to get that price above the $60 that it's been at for now 10 years. The price has stayed this way at first because it was convenient. It was convenient for the publisher to know the price tag of their game, to know how to budget for a $60 game. And it was very convenient for the consumer because they knew that this new game that was coming out whenever was going to be $60 so they can save money to buy it whenever it released. After a while, it became an adherence by the consumer to the $60 price tag. If a publisher were to put a game above $60, say 70 or 80, consumers would rally and not purchase it. Not purchase it because base games, standard versions of games, are $60. And they've always been. This is becoming a problem for developers and publishers because prices have increased everywhere else. They haven't increased at the store shelf, but they've increased in terms of the complex computer equipment needed to make these very tech-heavy games. They've increased in the office buildings that are needed to house these large staffs that are building these games, sometimes upwards of two, three, four, five hundred people. And at the individual level, they've increased in terms of the high skill gap that is required to even begin to make a game. And when you hire those individuals, they require insurance benefits, time off, and everything that another employee at any other business requires. Everything has only gotten more expensive, and the game prices are at $60. So what is a publisher to do except for push developers to create content for ultimate editions and higher editions of games and simply put them at a higher price. The average price of a triple A game, and you could think of that as like a blockbuster game, something like a Call of Duty or Battlefield or FIFA, those blockbuster games will cost about $200 million by 2020. $200 million to develop. That's according to VentureBeat. And that $200 million is simply to make the game and pay people that are making the game. That money does not include any delays that can occur and nowadays frequently occur while making games. That money does not include any marketing or advertising either, things that are needed to sell the game. Now, if we just take that $200 million, the $200 million minimum, and again, this is the bare minimum. This doesn't even include prices to make a commercial to say, hey, guys, this game is coming out. If we were to take this $200 million and compare it to the $60 price tag, if we were to say all people purchasing this game were going to buy it at $60, you need to push 3.3 over 3.3 million copies of the game. And this is usually a AAA game that's being sold to console and PC gamers that make up 49% of the global games market in 2018. 
49% of the people that are purchasing games, 49% of the people that would purchase this AAA game, you need to sell 3.3 million copies to those people. And that's just to break even with $200 million, your minimum. Now include any delay increases in price. And of course, you have to include marketing. And that just increases the number of copies that you need to sell by the thousands, hundreds of thousands, by the millions to break even and make a profit on that game. And these games, these AAA games, usually take 18 to 36 months. At the long end, sometimes five years to develop. So you're the publisher. And about every three years, a new game is coming out. How do you budget yourself across those three years? And how do you push this game so you can make enough profit to stay okay and make the next game in the next three years? Isn't that insane? What's even crazier is this stranglehold that the gamer consumer has on the industry over the suppliers of games, the developers and the publishers. Can you imagine if the amount of people that buy iPhones rallied and said, you know what? No, we're not spending over $750, $800 on an iPhone. What is this $1,100 on an iPhone? Can you imagine if that was the push? If consumers had that amount of power in other industries? Because again, the $60 base price tag of games, there's nothing that's keeping it there. There's no law in place or, or anything that it's saying games have to be $60 at their base price. It's simply the consumers saying this is the price we want and this is the price that's always been and this is the price that it's going to stay frankly but again at that sixty dollars game companies have to figure out how to subsidize the expense to develop the game versus the unit cost of that game of an individual copy of that game so what are they to do but include things like special editions that cost more Games now have season passes or downloadable content that adds more, more content to the game across a specified amount of time. A lot of developers now are turning to things called loot boxes. That has become a very sticky issue in the games industry. Loot boxes are, you could basically call it gambling in a basic sense because you invest real world dollars into boxes that have rare, common, legendary gear, loot, cosmetic items that come at random. One loot box could provide you with three, four, five random items, in-game items, digital items. And a lot of publishers and game developers are coming into contact with government regulators and gamers that are pushing against that because they say, we're paying $60 for a game, but you're adding loot boxes on top of that. More content that people shouldn't be paying for like it should already be in the game of course parents don't want their children spending more money on these games more money that you don't know exactly what you're getting with because of course they're random random loot boxes you could get all the gear the stuff that you don't want so some game developers have developed a new way to push their game some go free to play would be a crime to talk about gaming in 2018 and not mention Fortnite. Fortnite is probably the biggest game of 2018 and of 2017. The most popular mode in the game is something called a Battle Royale. It's 100 players get dropped onto this map and the last player alive wins. It's an extremely popular game developed by Epic Games. 
and in 2018, according to Business Insider, Fortnite made an estimated $2.5 billion in revenue for Epic Games. Ladies and gentlemen, this game is free to play. You can go onto your PlayStation, go onto your Xbox, Nintendo, Switch, PC, your smartphone for crying out loud, and download this game completely for free. You can play it right now. I mean, you know, right now after the podcast is over. So how did Epic Games make all their money? They made it through in-game transactions. Instead of using loot boxes, they simply developed cosmetic in-game items, items to change up the look of your character, and they sold them in their in-game store. With real-world dollars, you buy in-game currency, what Fortnite calls V-Bucks, and you can purchase the in-game items from the in-game store. These are cosmetic items. They do nothing for your character in the game. They don't make you stronger. They don't make you faster. They're just something to look cool. Some of them cost $20 for one in-game skin, and people purchase them. Epic Games makes about $300 million a month from its players. They keep the game fresh, new, include things like the Battle Pass, where you can complete challenges for new items, and they constantly upgrade the store with new stuff. And they made, in 2018, $2.5 billion. And again, we're greeted by another example of the insane buying power of the gamer. $300 million a month on in-game skins that mean nothing to the gameplay. They make you look cool, you can do cool dances, but they impact you in no other way. How do you even explain that? But you can explain that. And it's because when a Fortnite gamer logs on, they see that they can purchase any of these items and they see exactly what item they're getting and they know exactly how much it costs. On top of that, they know that these skins are going to be new, fresh, cool, and they know that the game is going to be upgraded, up to date, running smoothly for all gamers. It's going to be fair. Epic Games has built a trust with their consumer. When people log on, they know that they have as equal a shot as any to be number one. And they have as equal a shot as any to look as awesome as they can if they want. In contrast, a game publisher by the name of Electronic Arts has, for one, ranked among the worst companies, the companies most hated by consumers. They've ranked among them for a number of years. And that's 2018 included. They were number five out of 20. In November of 2018, after a delay, a one-month delay from October, EA was ready to release their latest entry in one of their most popular franchises, Battlefield 5. To say this was a rocky lead-up to the release would be a little bit of an understatement. EA had gotten into basically verbal war with its consumer over the treatment of the World War II setting in the game. And basically it ended with the CEO of EA telling its consumers, if you don't like the game, don't buy it. And now, Mr. CEO, what do the consumers do? They don't buy it. It's kind of crazy how that works. So the stock price in about six months, reported at the end of December, fell 44% from what it was. 44% of the value of the company. The game made much less than it was estimated to. And this is on top of other lawsuits that EA has been a part of regarding loot boxes and unfair 
business practices with those loot boxes bordering on gambling in a lot of European countries, and there are calls for it in the U.S. too. All it really comes down to, though, is that EA broke consumer trust, and now people just say, I don't buy EA games anymore, or I don't trust those games, or I'll wait for them to go down to a sale price. All of those things lead to decreased profits for EA. This is the main reason why Electronic Arts is suffering at the hands of the consumer, and why Epic Games is swimming in money. If the gamer doesn't trust you to deliver on an experience and on an equal, fair playing field, then they simply will not purchase your game. So why is this lacking in other industries? There is a passion that comes into games that simply doesn't exist in other industries. Even if something is unfair in something in some other industry, people won't rally against it. They don't have the passion to or the will to. But gamers do, and it shows. It shows in the examples we just discussed. If a product is worth celebrating, they will. And if a product isn't, they'll just turn against it. The passion is there, and it's crazy. The Game Awards show, which is like the Oscars of games, there is no corporation behind that. There is no academy. It's one guy that put that together. An award show that's intense well-made, full of new game trailers, full of celebrities that come out to it in a huge arena. And it all just comes from this one guy's passion, this guy named Jeff Keighley, who's a games journalist. And it all comes down from him. He produces and he hosts the show. It's from his passion. And you can't really say where this passion comes from because most people, and I'd say that for most people, it comes from different reasons why they play games. Whether it's to escape into a different world, to connect with people, with friends online, or on the couch. It all comes from some memory that make games this bright and light medium for excitement, and in some cases maybe for self-worth. In about 60 years, this medium has grown full of people, full of people that are passionate and ready for the next introduction in a series, for the new IT game, for the next console for the next advancement in technology, in photorealism, in VR, virtual reality. And in terms of the consumer, they're ready with their wallets to get that next thing. How many other industries can boast that, can boast the consumer that ready for their product? And what it comes down to is that second point that we spoke of at the beginning of this program. When we define a gamer, we define all of us. A gamer doesn't have to be somebody sitting in front of a screen. It doesn't have to be a video gamer. Throughout our life, we use games to advance ourselves, to develop our mind, our brain, to develop our social standing with our relationships with people, friendships, and to strengthen bonds with those friendships, with those people behind the friendship. In a sense, this is why this industry has exploded, especially in recent years, because things like online gaming, where you can talk to people, explore worlds with them online in a game, gives people a new way to forge bonds. People are spending their money, spending their time, they're passionate about these things because it gives them someone. Whether it connects you to the person sitting next to you on the couch or someone hundreds, thousands of miles away, you're making a bond with that person. When you're in the game, you're exploring a world with that person. It could be the Wild West. It could be 
the wacky map of Fortnite, whatever it is, you're going on a mission with that person. You're discovering something new with that person. And those instances in the game where something funny happens, some cool play happens, those instances bond you because those are something that you have with that person. And even if you don't play with others, even if you're more of a single player gamer, you could still have these instances of awe because you're exploring something new for yourself. You're being more connected with yourself. You're exploring worlds by yourself. You set goals for yourself and you achieve them. Motivation is a strong thing and it's fueled by passion for something. We're motivated to play these games and we're motivated to buy these games to play them because we're passionate about something. It's different for all of us. But we are always playing games because we want to connect to people. We are always playing games because we want to connect to ourselves. We want to build bonds with others and within ourselves. We're always playing games for these reasons. And we will always play them in whatever manner, whatever form they become. Whether it's the video games or whatever's next. But next time somebody says gamer, I want you to think of that. Think of all the good that comes from connection and relation. And remember that that's the fun part. Because we're always playing games. So try and have some fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Logs, a podcast dedicated to understanding. Please subscribe so you're notified of new episodes and find us anywhere you find podcasts. And please remember to laugh a